Hey there, I'm Eric J. Olson. And I'm Kevin Daisy. You're listening to the Managing Partners Podcast, where we interview top lawyers about how they're growing their firms. Hey, everybody. It is Eric J. Olson with another live episode of the Managing Partners Podcast. On this podcast, we interview America's top managing partners to find out what they're doing to grow their firms and to keep their case pipeline full. And today I have the pleasure of hosting Alan Tittle. Hey, Alan, how you doing? Doing fine, Eric. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for making the time. Let me tell the audience a little bit about you. The Tittle and Pullmutter Law Firm focuses on medical malpractice, catastrophic personal injury, nursing home neglect, and wage and hour litigation. Offices are in Cleveland. Ooh, how do you say this next city? Elyria. Elyria. I wasn't prepared for that. Beautiful Elyria, Ohio. Sandusky and Chardon? Chardon, you got it. <laughs> I like to practice these before. I. Well, I, I should have definitely walked through the, the pronunciation of those city names. I wanted to uh, keep you on your toes. I appreciate it, man. I always make it exciting. All right. And you guys have three attorneys. You know, I was looking at your website before and we were talking about this before we went live. Incredibly impressive website. It looks really, really nice. I'm surprised to read that you have three attorneys. I would have guessed much more, but please tell us a little bit more about you, how you got started and your firm. Yeah. So I started the firm in July of 2015 by myself. I, you know, didn't have a pot to do, you know what in and, but I had a couple cases, uh, and I had a passion and I thought I was a pretty good lawyer. So took the plunge. I shortly thereafter convinced my law partner, Scott to jump ship from a firm that he was at. And that's sort of how we got started. Uh, I like to think of our firm as sort of like we're big game hunters, meaning we don't want the soft tissue car crash case. What we're well known for is the significant wrongful death, the paralysis case. And so that's why we only have three attorneys is because the whole goal is to focus on those catastrophic cases. That's our bread and butter. And my partner, Scott, he does a lot of what we call wage and hour collective actions or class actions, uh, which is you don't get paid your overtime like you should. You, they dock your pay for lunch breaks, even though you're not taking a lunch break. And those cases can be very significant. So that's that's really where we focus focus our attention. Very cool. Now you started in 2015, correct? Yeah. And I'm guessing it took you a, a little while to kind of figure out like your niche, even within PI. Is, is that a, a decent assumption that you kind of it took some time to get to where you're at now? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we sort of, you know, when I started out, I I, I knew the niche, but you know, I started on the third floor of a shared office space and a little office by myself. There was no one around. I was paying 500 bucks a month. Maybe it was 300. I can't even remember now, but it was next to nothing because that's all I could afford. And I knew that what I wanted to focus on were the larger, more catastrophic cases, but I didn't do that in the beginning. So there's no doubt about it. You know, I was taking any type of PI case that, that came through the door. But, you know, the beauty of growth and success is you can be more selective in the cases that you, that you choose. So as the, you know, as we got more successful, 
Uh, obviously, our case select selection criteria got a little more precise, and that's how we got to where we are today. That's uh, that's interesting. It seems like a, a lot of lawyers and even just business people in general kind of go through that same niching analysis. Um, did you find it challenging at first when you decided to kind of narrow in to these kinds of PI cases? Yeah, I mean, the biggest issue is funding the cases. So in a case, if in a single medical malpractice case, you're looking at 100 grand in case expenses and no one's funding these cases for me. And so we had to self-fund them. And the only way you get funding is by successfully litigating cases that you had before. So in the very beginning, no doubt about it, it was tough to sort of make ends meet while funding the cases properly, because if you cheap out on cases, you're not going to be successful anyways. So that was a real battle early on, but you know, the beauty of growth and success is then that sort of becomes an afterthought. Yeah. You know, um, we, we talked a little bit beforehand about some other folks that you consult with as far as uh, other lawyers, uh, masterminds, things like that. Did they have, did they contribute kind of to this journey that you've been on as far as like finding the niche and how to fund and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there are some businesses out there that do loans to sort of help fund cases, but to be blunt, I felt uncomfortable doing that uh, just because I wanted to make sure that my clients didn't have to pay some huge interest rate. But I think the most difficult part of growth that I did not expect uh, that the mastermind helped most with was hiring and firing and then also management of staff. And, you know, I, I don't know if you can tell yet, not or yet, but I can be an intense person and I can also be pretty direct. Sometimes that doesn't mesh too well with staff. And that's still something I'm really struggling with. And, you know, the hiring process in the very beginning, I would just be hiring on gut instinct and it would backfire almost every time. And so uh, now we have a full process that is, <laughs> there's like three to four steps to it. Uh, and I truly believe in you know the old adage, fire fast, hire slow. I'm still not firing fast enough, but we are hiring slow enough. And every time we do it right, uh, it's a lot better for us, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm with you on, uh, on, on, on the same kinds of issues, very direct to the point. And uh, yeah, sometimes it can hurt feelings. And so as you know, a managing partner, or as you know, in my case, the CEO of a digital marketing industry, it's, it's one of those things you need to think about before you start talking to people, right? Some folks you can, like your partner probably. I'm right. Sure you guys are very direct with each other, but the rest of the staff, kind of different rules of engagement. So, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, um, you, know, you mentioned like funding these cases. And, and it's interesting because in your line of work, PI, personal injury, however this came about over history, yeah, you don't you don't get paid until the very end, whereas in other practice areas, you get paid along the way. So you're funding these cases. I think you mentioned like a $100,000 case or more uh, that's coming out of your pocket, either with your time or you're paying people to do it, probably a combination of both. But then you also have to go get new clients. And certainly in personal injury, there's usually a lot of advertising that goes along with that. Is that the way that you have gone about getting the clients for your business? It's a combination of internet marketing combined with just relationship building. And so in a perfect world, 
you know, everyone would be able to throw up a website and get every case they ever wanted. But in reality, it doesn't work that way. And so, and if you put all your eggs in one basket, it's not going to work out either. And so we've really taken an approach of we need the internet and we need relationships. And so uh, I'm happy to sort of discuss the approach we've taken with that relationship building in those co-councils that we have, but also I'm happy to dive deeper into the digital marketing as well. Both, please. All right. You know, so relationship building, you know, obviously it comes down to just meeting and talking to people and going to lunch, but I would stress for everyone, take a look at where your cases are coming from. And what I mean by that is this, okay, they're coming from lawyers. Well, all right. What type of lawyers? How old are they? What's their sex? What are their interests? And really take a deep dive and then come up with what I consider personas. So a lot of a lot of times in marketing, you hear about your ideal clients. And boy, I was beating my head against the wall because I'm like, well, you know, anyone could be a victim of medical malpractice. Anyone could be uh, driving down the road and get hit by a semi-truck. So how do I figure that out? And then it dawned on me that my ideal client isn't the client so much, it's the referring lawyer. And so what I did was I, I took a look at where exactly those cases are coming from in deep detail. And going forward, we're gonna create content directed specifically towards that type of person. And so without getting too deep in the details, my best referral partners are state lawyers, and then also general PI lawyers who may just do say car crashes, but they don't do medical malpractice. Those are perfect partners for me. I, they will send me their malpractice work and maybe there's a soft tissue auto case that I don't want uh, just because I don't have the staff to work it up and I can send it them. So in terms of relationship building, take a deep dive and see where your cases are actually coming. On top of that, you got to give them the tools. You got to give them the tools to know what kind of cases you want. So I stole this idea from somebody, but essentially create what we're in the process of doing is creating what I consider a sales sheet. So it's laminated, it's hard. Here are the cases that we want. And these are the type of scenarios to look for these cases. Hopefully they keep it on their desk, they get a call. It's one of those types of cases, they immediately call us. On top of that, I think it's important to obviously be active. One thing that's interesting is it's not only active in the local bar associations and things like that, but social media leads to professional referrals. And so um, a lot of folks are here, they'll say, well, I just don't know how to put staff on social media marketing. Well, I, you know, they gave me a call and they said they're from X, Y, and Z, not LinkedIn or Facebook. But what you don't realize is the effect on social has with your referral partners. So it's all about being top of mind. And the way you can be top of mind is through social media. That's great. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, a lot of times no one has time for social media. We're all busy running businesses or our own practice areas. And if you don't have time, then to, to find some help, in my opinion. But I, I agree with social media. I'm looking at, at your Instagram right now. It, it appears to be quite active. A lot of plays on your videos. Now, this is great. And you mentioned quite a few things that is difficult to learn from experience only as far as things like identifying your avatar, the, the ideal prospect, 
what do they look like and getting down to the details man or woman right what's the age what are their activities that's hard to do it's very hard to do for most businesses we've gone through the exercise here and we're a marketing agency and, and we started off the same way as you like uh i don't know it could be anybody because you have such varied clients but some of them are ideal and others are not so you know focusing on the ideal ones really really smart i like that a lot so yeah i, I can definitely tell you put in the effort so you, you mentioned it, several great things about relationship marketing digital marketing social media in particular how about something that hasn't quite worked out well for you when it comes to marketing your business yeah so I, i'm kind of embarrassed to mention this Yo, but i'm gonna do it anyways so you know my partner does wage and hour cases yeah. and uh, one area that's really i guess a good line of cases to get if you can get is misclassification cases relating to strippers. So strip club cases. Uh, and so a few years ago, we created this Facebook ad and we were going to target the area where, you know, the, the clubs are, the gentlemen clubs. And you know, we didn't really think it through. Boy, what effect is this ad going to have just on normal people? And so we had this Facebook ad. It was like a, uh, a dancer who was on a pole and, you know, it was like neon lights. And I swear to you, I had it up for about 10 minutes. And then my wife looked at it. It's like, Alan, what are you doing? What is this? And then I immediately thought to myself, yeah, this probably isn't a good idea. So it was a terrible idea, but you know, everyone makes mistakes. And, uh, I guess before you put up any ad, you would, you should probably ask, what is your significant other? think about this ad and what will that effect have at, at home? But, you know, especially in social, you got to be thinking about, all right, what are all the different angles that people are going to think about this? And it's, it's a lot more difficult to think about because here we are, we have this targeted ad, a specific group that we wanted to target that are really getting in, you know, hurt financially because owners are swindling them out of overtime or, or pay that they should have or misclassifying them as independent contractors when they're in fact employees. So, you know, moral of the story, be careful what you put out there. Yeah. I, I appreciate you sharing the story. So yeah, first of all, thank you. Cause I, I know that some of these mistakes that we all make, you're like, ah, do I really want to share this? But it's a good learning opportunity for everybody. And, you know, I, I think that the moral of, of the story maybe is, you know, certainly be careful about what you post, but also, even if you determine in retrospect that it's a mistake, it's not catastrophic, right? I mean, you took it down in 10 minutes or 15 minutes and, you know, only a few people, big deal. It's not the worst case scenario of it's going to destroy your company. And so I, I'm a firm believer that knowing your niche, knowing what, having a strategy and, and experimenting within that makes a lot of sense. And then worst case, you, you just reverse course. It's, it's not going to hurt you that bad, so... Not that big of a deal, but, and by the way, I've, I've done much worse than that. So <laughs> I'll, I'll share that after right. we record. <laughs> well, cool. What are your growth plans for the next couple of years? So, um, I know most lawyers have heard of John Morgan, managing partner of Morgan and Morgan. And he has a saying that says, you're either grow or die. And I, I firmly believe that now growth can be defined many different ways, but we need to keep growing. And so we need to grow, obviously, monetarily. We've got to make more money. Not 
to put it in my pockets, but that means we're helping more people. That's right. The more settlements, the more jury verdicts that we get, more people we're helping. Uh, so that's number one, help more people. Number two, we need to keep growing personnel. So, you know, right now for the very first time, I'm hiring an executive assistant. Never had one, kind of nervous to give up control, but you know, he or she is going to be doing things since she's answering email. I never want to look at an email again. I hate email. So in the short term, we need to figure out our, how to free up my time, Scott's time, uh, my, my law partner. But then in terms of growth, we need to help more people. And then also we need to add another office in the next five years. There's no doubt about it. We're going to do that. We sort of already had a plan to figure it out where, uh, but that's our plan. That's awesome. And I, I love the concept of growth because it creates hopefully endless opportunities for all of your stakeholders, whether it's you, your partner, your staff, your families, your clients, we believe in that as well. So, you know, growth just for the sake of growth now growth, growth for the sake of creating those opportunities for everybody. Yeah. I mean, I firmly believe in every case that we handle, we change something for the positive. So if it's a malpractice case, there's going to be a new policy that's put in place to prevent that from happening again. If it's a nursing home case, hopefully next time around, they got more staff. Uh, if it's a wage and hour case, well, their pay practices are going to change because they don't want to get hit again with another collective action or class action. So every case that we handle, it makes a positive change in society. And I wouldn't want to be doing anything else because I can firmly go home at night knowing I'm making a difference. And I don't know if I was some other type of lawyer getting hired by insurance companies, if, if I could say, I, I know I wouldn't be able to say that. I love it. This has been really good, Alan. I appreciate your time. If someone would like to reach out to you or even just check out what you've done online and your social media and whatnot, what's a good way to get in touch with you? Website is probably the easiest, tittlelawfirm.com, or shoot me an email, even though I hate email. Uh, hopefully someone's going to be telling me about your email and reading it for <laughs> me. Uh, tittle at tittlelawfirm.com is my personal email as well. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks again so much. All right, everybody, if you would like to check out the rest of our episodes, we have a full backlog over 120, 30, 40, something like that. A lot of episodes organized, not only by practice area, but by state. You can really drill down and find the episodes that you think will be interesting for you. Those are at ArrayLaw.com slash podcast. And if you are looking for social media help or website, SEO, online advertising, you can check out my company's website, my company is Array Digital, and we are at ArrayLaw.com. All right, Alan, once again, I appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. Take care.